question of the day, chapter 12 of Shakespeare's Play. So here I go. By the time I returned home that evening, I was as a bone weary as I had ever been, even the previous summer when we sometimes slogged around the muddy road in the rain from dawn until dusk. Though for a patience, though for a pre- Though for a pre- apprentice every day is the hectic one, this this day had been without equal or precedent, as full of all alarums and excursions and general hurly burly as. Both parts of Henley the fifth put together. As was their custom, the dozen or so orphan boys who lodged with Mr. Pope were, were waiting to pounce on me for the moment I came to the door, yelling like wild Irishmen, rifling my wallet in in search of the sweetmeats I sometimes brought them, begging me to play the game of barley Greek or rice pig and go. But the goody, goody Williamson saw how I haggard looked. I looked. She chased them off to bed and brought me a cup of what she called clary, warm wine with honey, pepper and ginger, uh, and a bowl of fermentine, four kernels boiled in milk, which she had kept hot for me in the in the black of the cast iron heating stove. I was too exhausted to eat more than a few mouthfuls. Has Mr. Pope retired for the night? I asked. He's in the library. I sighed, knowing that he was waiting for me, too. Not so that I might play a game, but so that I might tell him all the day's news. I did it I did not like to disappoint him, for I knew how much he missed me part of company, and how eager he was to hear what we were up to. In warmer weather, Mr. Poe frequently made a short journey to the Globe, sometimes to watch the performance from behind the stage, sometimes simply to share conversation and drink with his old comrades. But the combination of cold weather, ill health, and distance kept him from coming to Crosby's, so he reeled on me to keep him abreast of things. We had a running jest about my about my being his informant, his spy within the company. Now in light of Mr. Armand's deadly serious remark, it did not seem so amusing. Mr. Pope had his feet propped up before the fire, a mug of clary in one hand, and a woolen blanket strapped over his ample belt. Come in, Wig. Come in. Sit down. You look as though you've had a long, hard day. Good. I'm glad you've something to show for it. 
like the messenger in the play who describes the other characters and for the audience some action that took place off the stage, I proceeded to give him an, an account of all that happened that in the all that happened that day in a few words as I could reasonably could. And in truth in truth I did not include every include everything. I did not tell of my visit to La Vision and what she saw in her skyrim ball. Nor did I repeat what Mr. Armand had said about a spy, or what Mr. Hemmings had said about the company being difficult in circumstances. The physician who attended Mr. Pope had questioned us any interdue strain or stress who were who uh, stress or could worsen his patient's prediction and i had no wish to fulfill the cunning woman's prediction that i would bring about another person's death at least uh, of all his I did describe for him the mysterious Mr. Garrett, thinking that he might have crossed paths before. Mr. Pope had no notion who or what the man might be, or why he would feel compelled to disguise himself. When I introduced Judith into my story, I did my best to sound nonchalant, but I was not a good, not a good enough actor. After carry it up. Though I confined myself to facts, carefully avoiding any mention of feelings, Mr. Pope was not fooled for a moment. I believe you neglected to clean up your robe and clean off the robe off your cheeks, my boy, he said mischievously. Either that or the fraught has nipped them a bit. I ducked my head sheepishly. I I expect that's it. I've met Will's daughters a time a, a time or two. Judith is the fair one, is she? Hi. She's a pretty thing. I'm not surprised that you'd be submitting with her. I never said I was. Mr. Pope laughed. There's no need to say it. It's written all a look of concern, and he and he leaned forward in his chair. It's written all over your face, he said. His smile slowly faded to be replaced by a look of concern, and he leaned forward in his chair. Which, I hope you won't mind my saying this. I know you haven't asked for my advice, but... Well, I think if you almost as a as a son, and while I don't wish to meddle or say anything against Judith, I think you do well be careful. Careful? Yes, I wouldn't like to see you hurt. What do you mean? I mean that on occasion Will has spoken to me about family, his family, and from what he's told me, I gather that Judith 
years, he left it shifted, uncomfortable, leaving his name. Shall I, how shall I put it? Well, you recall the Duke's description of his daughter, you two gentlemen? No, trust me. She's peevish, sullen, forward, proud, disobedient, stubborn, lacking duty, neither regarding that she is my child, nor fearing me that if I were her father. I stared at him, unable to grasp what he was getting at. at. I? I? Minister Pope sighed. Never mind, Wig. You're tired. We'll talk more in the morning. I all right. On the last word, my weary voice broke. Mr. Pope winced. It sounds as though your pipe can't decide which opera to play in. Has that been happening often? I nodded disappointedly. No one, uh, no one out of the company has mentioned it yet, except Sam and Salpelvi, of course. But I'm certain they noticed. Oh, well, don't let it worry you. It doesn't mean you're going playing girls' parts. It means we'll have a work a bit more to keep you sounding sweet. Well, well, get some oil and almond for you to gargle with daily, and I'll show you some vocal ex- exercises that will keep your throat strings in tune. For now, go on to bed. I got to my feet. Before I do, can I fetch out for you? No, no. He lifted the blanket to reveal a thick book wedged in next to him. I have a cup of clary and a volume of Gerblaeus. What more could a man want? My brain was not so good clogged that I failed to hear the wristful tone behind the words. What he wanted, I suspected, was not to sit before a fire with a book in his lap, but to strut before an audience with a speech in his mouth. In the doorway of the library, I turned back. Mr. Pope, is that? Have you ever tried writing a play? Me? He laughed heartily, as though the notion were ludicrous. No, I'm happy to leave what task that task to will. What makes you ask such a thing? I I only thought I might get you something to do. I lied. Thank you, but I believe I'd prefer to dig a ditch. Dirt is far more agreeable to work with than words. As I stared up the stairs, I discovered Teddy sitting halfway up them, clad only in her nightshirt, with her thin arms wrapped around her knees. Teddy, I whispered, why are you sitting here? You'll catch a chill. I was waiting for you to tuck me into bed and not eavesdropping at all on any conversation with Mr. Pope, I suppose. I led her down the hall to the room she shared with Buddy Willingson, who was still cleaning up the kitchen. Only a little, she said. Who's Judith? There, here is a dark and 
it, here it was dark enough to, to hide me blushes. Mr. Shakespeare's daughter. I turned back the covers, and when she was done snuggling into his pot, I chucked them around her. Is she very beautiful? If neglecting to tell the whole truth counts as a lie, I was guilty once more. Instead of confessing that Judith was the most commonly creature I had ever set my eyes upon, I simply said, I suppose so. <laughs> uh, I mean that on occasion, Will has spoken to me about... Oh, sorry. Are, are you going to marry her? Clearly, Teddy was no more fooled to show of indifference than Mr. Pope had been. Marry her? You can her but a single afternoon. I, I can her for a single afternoon. After Romeo talks to Juliet for only five minutes, they are exchanging their love faithful vows. How is it that you can so much about Romeo and Juliet? Mr. Pope told me. He acted out all the parts. She gave a soft, sleepy giggle. He doesn't make a very good Juliet. No, I expect not. Teddy yawned. You mustn't marry her, you know. Her voice was growing drowsy now. Why not? Because, she murmured, you must wait for me. So that was chapter 12. Bye, guys. See you later. See you later. See you later. See ya. See ya. Later. Bye, guys. Bye.